Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is the host of the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast. His name is Mitchell Shirk, and he and I are actually on the same podcast network. We met not that long ago in kind of like a team meeting online, and this guy kind of does it all. I mean, he's up in Pennsylvania. We cover so much stuff in this in this episode. So I hope you guys are ready for it because there's a lot coming your way from habitat improvement, Mitch Mitchell's history, like podcasting and what that's looked like for him, helping other people get educated on habitat improvements and land consulting, all that good stuff. And we talk about doing drives through the Pennsylvania woods, not for deer though, for bear. I can't imagine. I mean, I have very few encounters with black bear in my life, and I think that would be so much fun to go and push a chunk of property in hopes of finding a black bear to hunt. So we're going to dive right in. It's going to be awesome. Here we go. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys. So I know that last year was kind of a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers, but that's why we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Now, Go Wild is a free social community that was built by outdoors men and women just like me and you. Not only are your photos not censored on Go Wild, they're actually encouraged. And they give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Check this out, though. If you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got Mitchell Shirk, and he is with the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast now. Mitchell and I, we met uh, in a in a Zoom meeting not that long ago, actually. We're on the same podcast network, and um, this is my first podcast with another host from the network. So, Mitchell, thanks for hopping on, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This was, uh, I always love to chat with people. I feel like podcasting, everybody's a chatty character, so I don't mind BSing, but uh, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got a question. I, w- I should have asked this before we started recording. How long do your podcasts go? Because I've noticed an hour is not very long to cover a lot of stuff when you're talking to guests that love the outdoors. It all depends. My end goal is usually an hour. I usually say plus or minus you know, a couple minutes at an hour. But um, I've, <laughs> I, I've learned that if I'm riding solo and I'm talking about something, you know, habitat hunting specific related to my stuff, I always go shorter because I, I just hear my wife ringing in my ears that like you talk too much, like nobody <laughs> wants to listen to you that much. But then, you know, on the flip side, I'll have guests 
that you just can't get enough of what they have to say. So I'm not going to cut somebody off if they've got value to a listener, because yeah. I mean, I, I just feel like that's demeaning to that conversation. Yeah, I it's been it's been tough. Like I've always wanted to respect people's time. So when I give them a time frame of when we're going to be done, I try to honor that. But yeah, there's so many, especially lately, I just feel like conversations are going and going and going and they're it's good content. It's great stories. It's a lot of fun. And to cut it off, I'm like, I wish I had that like three and a half hours every day to record like Joe Rogan does. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't. And I don't think most of my guests do either. Yeah, it depends on your guests, too. I mean, sometimes you, you know, I've reached out to a couple of people that are busy in something aspect of the hunting industry or um, a science related thing. And, you know, their time is valuable. And the fact that they're sharing good quality information with you is be like, OK, I'll just take an hour of your time. It won't be more than that. I, I don't want to you know, push you. And then you get other people that's just like, yeah, I got all day. Yeah. What a I'm more along the lines of I got all day today, too, because I'm technically on paternity leave right now. Heck, yeah, that's awesome, man. I miss paternity leave. That was a good time. <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> it's I, well, really not. I'm still working, but I just said I'm taking a break and I'm doing a podcast with Dan Matthews. See, that's the problem. Paternity leave doesn't fully exist when you when you work like for yourself or like you have a side hustle that you're that you're constantly doing. When I did paternity leave, I had literally nothing going on other than my normal job. And so I came home and I got to relax. Uh, my wife, the kids were both pretty good. I think my son, he got home and he was sleeping like 10 hours a night almost immediately. And it was lucky you. It was unreal. He, he tricked us into having another one though. And then my daughter <laughs> was completely the opposite. So um, as far as podcasting goes though, how, how long have you been doing this? Um, why don't you share with the listeners about the content that you create and, uh, what they could expect to hear if they hop over and listen? Yeah. Um, so again, Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast on Sportsman's nation, we started airing last year in May and it's kind of a neat story and I'll just give you the, the brief overview of it. My good friend, uh, Devon Zimmerman, who he's actually been on nine finger Chronicles already and, uh, talked about his one season, but I'm good friends with him. And, uh, I used to work in his geological area and one day I was in at his bow shop and he goes, dude, we should, we should audition for the Pennsylvania specific show on sportsman's nation. Dan's looking for somebody. And I was like, you know, get out of here. But now we talked about it. So we ended up, we recorded an audition, sent it to Dan and he picks us. So we, we started getting the ball rolling. And, you know, that was sometime in the winter of 2020 or 21, I'm sorry, 21. And we started airing in May, went on a few months and, you know, stuff happened, you know, his bow shop blew up he's getting real busy you know his family's growing too he just said to me at one point in the summer probably two three months he's like hey man i i don't think i can do this anymore with you like i'm, I'm sorry to do this but i think i gotta back out I'm like no 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 big deal no hard feelings so i decided i'm just gonna roll with it i'm gonna give it give it a go and it's been a great experience because we've been able to have a lot of really cool conversations it's uh, I just talked about this on an episode that's going to air on Friday. You know, hunters are such a tightly wit or tightly wound group, and they're always willing to help. Yeah. So, like, you reach out to people that you'd think, 
who's going to give me the time of day? I'm a nobody. And they're like, yeah, let's go. Let's talk about that. And it's, it's just been a cool experience. So I'm a very science oriented person. I think I am anyway, maybe I'm not, but I think I am. And uh, I try to have a good mix of science based information, wildlife habitat, wildlife management, and then relate that to hunting, you know, yeah. the, the why behind so many um, topics that we so often talk about in hunting and just kind of relate the two. And I, my goal is to just have as much sound information relative to small game, big game hunting in Pennsylvania and the Northeast for that matter. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love listening to the like very informative podcasts <clears throat> and when there's a good mix of stories and humor and just kind of like back and forth between the, the, the hosts and the guests, uh, I really do enjoy that. I've found myself diving deeper into like the even more informative stuff but at the same time i almost get paralyzed by all of the information because i want to do it all and then because i can't do it all i end up doing hardly any at all uh when it comes to like habitat improvement i mean i could tell if somebody came up to me and they were like hey man what should i do on my property i could give them a pretty good game plan even though i i'm not well versed in it other than listening to podcasts right but on my own property, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, there's so much that I could be doing yeah. here. And uh, the nice thing is there's a ton of information out there now. I mean, podcasts, yeah. YouTube videos, like you can really figure out how to turn a property into uh, a, a ground that is super beneficial to everything from squirrels to turkey, deer, ducks, you name it. Um, and so it's, it's cool that there's that much content out related to that now. Um, as far as Pennsylvania Certainly. goes though, I mean, that's a whole different world. I've been through Pennsylvania. I haven't spent a ton of time there. Um, I think I did an event at the Steelers stadium one time at okay. Heinz field. Um, we did an event there around Christmas one year. Other than that, I haven't really been there, but it seems like a gorgeous place. And I've heard amazing stories about the hunting up there. Yeah, it's a diverse crowd. Um, you know, you, you've probably heard it plenty. You know, there's a big hunting heritage in Pennsylvania, and there is, don't get me wrong. Um, I think Pennsylvania is a very over or underrated state. You know, we, we've got that mentality. We've got the Orange Army. Um, you know, there was a time we had like second most amount of licensed sales per acre or something like that. I forget the exact statistics. We were always up there as far as hunter, hunter density. Yeah. I think the only state that beat us in hunter density was Texas and like Michigan, Minnesota, and some of those Miss Western states, they always would have more hunting sales, but you know, per acre, we, we were the highest density. So, you know, there is a lot of that and there's, there's a lot of cool stories um, of deer, you know, I'm, I'm a deer managed deer hunter, deer manage, whatever you want to call it. I'm, I'm into deer. And there's a lot of stories of, you know, populations, you know, being shot to nothing and then having populations in the sixties that were, you know, there were deer everywhere and they were like rabbits. And, you know, now we've come to the era of like private land manipulation and habitat and quality, this and quality that. And I, I love that. I'm positive for that. It's just changed a lot, but I say Pennsylvania is underrated because I think there's still that mindset of that just, you know, shoot brown, it's down mentality. There's, there's a lot of really good deer in this state and the potential of this state 
is so well if we can just figure out how to get deer to that next age class, if that's what you're into. I mean, I talk out of both sides of my mouth on my podcast because at the end of the day, I don't really care what gets you out and go to go hunting and enjoy creation. Just do it. If shooting the first legal buck comes past you and makes you happy, do it. I mean, that's what it's all about. But I'm also one where if I'm sitting down having a conversation with somebody and we're talking about uh, a hunting story and somebody says about the buck they shot this past year and they show me a picture and one of the first things they say is like, Oh, it wasn't the biggest one, but it was getting, you know, towards the end of the season and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, why do you have to justify the deer you kill? Yeah. Like it's for you. I don't hunt for anybody else other than myself. Yep. So why do you have to justify to me what buck you killed? If you're not happy with that deer, then that's a personal struggle. And what is wrong with pushing yourself to do better? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's a happy, it's a, it's a fine balance. I don't care if you shot that deer, if it makes you happy, but if you have that personal struggle, then work, work to do better. And it's okay to eat your tags sometimes. I mean, I did it this past year. It was a hard pill to swallow, but it was, it was good. Cause I passed a lot of deer that a couple of years ago I would have shot and I left them go. Cause I know they're going to make it through. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's all what you want it to be, but that's kind of a loaded answer. I guess when you talk about the diversity of Pennsylvania, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, that resonates well with me. I'm in the same exact boat where it's like, man, I would love to see the age structure grow. I'd love to see the average age of deer be three and a half or older, um, that, that are being killed. But at the same time, um, when I have people that come out and hunt and they've never killed a deer, I'm like, literally anything that you want to shoot, shoot. I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. Like, I want you to have a good experience. I want you to have fun. Now, if they're going to come back year after year, I'm going to try to help develop that and, and grow them in, the progression of chasing after bigger, more mature animals. Um, but if they're just not interested in that and they're like, man, I just want to fill the freezer, you know, we've got, we've got does and stuff for that too. And that's just on the property that I, I don't own it. I don't even lease it, but I kind of have like a manager's permission on it, if that makes sense. So like I can invite other people, but I kind of have the final say on it. And so, um, yeah, that's just the strategy that I've been going with. But like my wife, she came out uh, two years ago and it was her first year ever deer hunting, like with her own tag. Mm-hmm. And I told her the same thing. I said, anything that comes out, if you want to shoot it, if it gets you excited, like go ahead. And the only thing that presented an opportunity was a doe and she absolutely loved it. Unfortunately, that was kind of a tarnished uh experience because we had tornado warnings almost as soon as the deer hit the ground. Wow. And so it was like, we want to celebrate. We want to have fun, but we also better get out of here quickly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I think it's cool when there's places like Pennsylvania. It seems like a lot of the states that are on the northern part of the country, bordering Canada, have a really good hunting heritage. Um, and you see, you see states developing the hunters are they can be diverse. You know. We, we've got the same thing in Wisconsin. I go back there every year. There's plenty of people where it's brown, it's down. There's plenty of people that get frustrated at their brown, it's down neighbors. You know, they're like, man, if, if the neighbors didn't shoot those, we'd have giant deer. And uh, it's just a learning curve, and everybody's got to be somewhat understanding 
with each other. And that's a bingo point right there, because I'll be the first to admit, um, if you would have had this conversation with me a few years ago, probably not that long ago, I'd have been that guy that was like, I don't understand why people have to just shoot everything that moves. I don't get that. Yeah. And I've I've really scaled back or, or changed my mindset at the end of the day. Who cares? Because when you look at the soul core of it, that foundation of why we hunt, it's all within us. Now, the things we choose to do may be different, but we need to embrace that as a group because the anti-hunting community is so big and it's, it's always growing. There's so much pressure on regulators now with hunting regulations and, and putting us in a headlock. We cannot fight together. I mean, yeah. I, I still, I want to manage. I love managing private land and habitat. It's, it's a passion of mine. I love seeing when a deer gets to four and a half years or older and then pursuing that. To me, that is like when it comes to whitetail hunting, that is like the, the, the pinnacle thing you can do in, in whitetail hunting for me. But I, it's out of my control if the neighbor next to me shoots them when they're two. And it yeah. used to bug me. It doesn't now because it, you get so attached to an individual deer, but in the reality, you manage for populations and there's always going to be another one if everything else is done right. So let it go. Embrace it. Help your neighbor as, as much as you can. You know, you know oh, yeah. I, I get I get fed up with that, too, because like we've got, uh, you know, with between podcasting and, and videos and, you know, all the different YouTube channels out there. I really like what's happened with public land hunting. It's really like become popular. Yeah. And I, I've hunted public land since I'm 12 years old. I love it. I'll always do it. I love it. But there's uh, there's always this like bickering amongst public versus private land hunters. Um. Like I've, I've even seen guys like well-known guys now killing 190 inch deer in the Midwest. And it's like, nobody cares. Yeah. I shot that on private land. What's it matter? What's it matter? Just because it had a, he was within the confines of his own border. Do you know how much work he put into that deer? Yeah. He, he probably worked his tail off the same way you did on your piece of public land to kill a two-year-old. The concept is the same. Why do we have to fight about it? Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I'm a firm believer that people need to know the property that they're on and know, know what the, um, expectations are, I guess, for yep. that property. I tell, I tell everybody, I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you shoot what makes you happy, period. If you're on a property that you are a guest on, follow their rules, regulations, expectations, their hit list, whatever it is that they have going on there. If you go and show up as a guest and they're like, Hey, we really want to shoot three and a half year old deer. We're going to shoot X amount of does this year. And you go outside of that and do your own thing. You're probably not going to get invited back. So just know, yeah. know the property that you're on and what the expectations are on or are there. If you're on public land, do what makes you happy. 100%. And then if there's somebody who hunts a property different than you, who like, who cares? Celebrate with them. Just like you said, if somebody's got 3,000 acres that's heavily managed, they've got food plots, they grow giant deer, and they shoot a 205-inch deer, how amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. Don't be like, oh, well, if I had that kind of property, I'd do it too. Try to come out and hunt this. It's like, it doesn't matter, man. Be happy with what you're doing and be content and 
if we were if we would just kind of quit comparing ourselves to everybody else yeah I, I think we'd be a lot more content as hunters on my end I love I love the history of like following a whitetail you know like yeah. that is that is the most exciting thing in the hunting world to me right now um and that's what I want other people to experience whether it's on public or private there's something about watching a deer and getting to getting to know it understand its movements where it's going to cross a fence to come out in the field and feed the the smallest buck that I've ever killed was the one that I had the most history with and I absolutely lo- well I shouldn't say had the most history with at that point it was because I hadn't I hadn't really done any type of management or tried to track deer mm-hmm. and so this deer it was a young deer and I saw it and I watched it over and over and over and it would come out in the field and it would spar with another small buck. And I, I was like, man, if that thing steps out and it gives me a shot, I've just had so many encounters with it. I'm going to draw back and I'm going to send an arrow its way. And sure enough, it did. And trust me on social media, you're always going to get the people like, why didn't you let it grow? Why didn't you let it grow? That's a two and a half year old deer or whatever. I was like, I don't care. I'm so pumped Keyboard about this warriors. right now. Oh yeah. It, I, I've never had a bad encounter with someone like that in person. No, when no, you're face to face, like hunters are friendly. I mean, they really are. You get a bad name online when you're typing on your keyboard and telling people, Oh wait, you used a <laughs> fixed blade instead of a mechanical. Are you kidding me? Are you a real hunter? You know, like it, people pick stupid things to fight over. Like with this podcasting, like I did no social media prior to podcasting. So now like social media is like a learning experience. I guess the most social media type thing I would have done was I just watch YouTube and I'll make comments. But I always made sure that if I watched a video or I saw somebody's post, if I was ever going to comment for somebody, it was always going to have something positive because nobody stands to gain anything by me being a jerk and saying, well, that was stupid. Um you know, example I'll give, I watched a video sometime, a guy shot a, he shot a, uh, an African animal with a bow at like 110 yards, which I don't, I don't, you, everybody needs to gauge their own distance for what's, you know, a good archery shot, but I didn't like the angle. He was shooting like a hard quartering towards angle at a really long distance. It just looked like a, um, a small margin of, of error on a shot like that. And he was successful, but I just made a comment be like, Hey, that was a great shot. And that was a great hunt. Hey, I hope for all the viewers that watch you and follow you. um, Can you take some more like normal shots or show that just because I don't want people to get the wrong impression by what you're doing. Like, like you are way above in your hunting expertise and level than probably most of the viewers And even if it's just a disclaimer, like, you know, you don't want to brag about yourself, but just saying, I I've practiced this. I know I can do it. Um, make sure that that's not like a norm to new beginners. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think as, as Americans, especially we have become consumers of content at such a fast rate. Like you're just taking everything in so quickly i mean if if something doesn't keep your attention for the first three seconds you're already gone on to the next thing well the problem with that is when when you're on instagram per se and you're watching and you see a shot from somebody 
you don't know the whole backstory behind the shot. You don't know what went into it. You might only see a follow-up shot on an elk at 80 yards, even though there's already been one good shot at 20 yards. And you're just yep. like, what's he doing shooting through the brush trying to hit that elk? Well, we need to understand that there's a lot more to the story than the 10-second reel or the one-minute clip that we see. And as as creators, anybody posting to social media, you need to also take that into account. When you go to post something, it's going to be taken out of context, no matter what. As much as you try, you can put the largest, brightest caption up there that says, like, watch the full story in order to understand or whatever. There are still going to be people that only see those few seconds and judge you according to that. You just said the most important word of all that, and that's context. And that's not just hunting, that's everything in life. If you do not have context behind what's going on, um, I think that's a big reason why there is so much um, distance and like spats between hunters just because of that lack of context. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about private land and private land management. Like there's so many practices throughout geographical areas of this country that it might or might not apply to your property, but you got to get the context. You know, somebody that something that somebody's doing in the Midwest might work on your property, but it might not get the context. And that's everything in life. I mean, I, that's in my day-to-day job, given, given my, my clients um, context to what I'm seeing in their fields and, and making a decision. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the more of the story that you can tell or the more, the more story that you can gather before making a judgment or making a decision on what you think about it, the better. It's always going to be better getting more information um, before acting or before responding. Uh, Certainly. Switching gears a little bit, up up there in Pennsylvania, I mean, you guys kind of have a little bit of everything that you can chase after. Um, mm-hmm. You guys have a ton of I, – I don't fully know the geography of Pennsylvania, but from what I understand, there's a lot of big woods on the northern yeah. part of the state. You get into like some crop and ag land toward the southern part, and is it the south southeastern part becomes more agriculture? Is that right? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, so I'm in southeast Pennsylvania. So I'm in the section that I would consider Ridge Valley. You know, if you look at a map of the, like if you look at the Susquehanna River where that splits the state, and you look east. There are so many ridge, valley, ridge, valley setups within those Appalachian Mountains. And that's about where I live and that's where I work. Um, You move north and you get into some really, really big woods areas. You get into um, Potter, Tioga, McKean, Clinton, uh, Lycoming, you know, even moving west into some of those kinds. You get into some really big monotonous wooded areas. Um, You know, I have a cabin in Lycoming County. The uh, I, I think right out the front or back door of my of, from my cabin, there's like 65 to 70,000 acres of public land just there. And then you oh, go nice. across the across the highway and there's like another 30,000. And like it's like that everywhere. I mean, I don't know how many millions of acres of public land there are in PA, but you get into certain places. Then you get into like the Allegheny Plateau. It's uh, not as mountainous, but it's it's still thick. And we got diverse, you know, wood woodlands and stuff like that. So 
we got a great mix here. I'm not as familiar with the Western part. It is more rolling gradual in the Western part of the state. You know, I've been through uh, parts of Ohio. Um, it's kind of comparable. It's kind of like more gradual rolling, you know, bush ag land mix. Um, but the Eastern part's kind of diverse and I'm biased to this. That's where I'm from. Yeah. What a, um, Growing up in that part, I mean, I've heard the I've heard the stories of guys that like walk deer down. I don't know the technical term for it, but you know they follow tracks through the snow until they catch up to a deer. Um, and then obviously you've got your your traditional Midwestern like sitting in a tree stand or a box blind. What did you mm-hmm. grow up doing? I know you mentioned that you're that you hunted a lot of public land from early on. A little bit of both. So um, I'll I'll you know. I'll make fun of myself. I grew up very blessed. Um, I have uh, an uncle who is one of my best friends um, that owns a 200 acre piece of land. It's in the Ridge Valley setup of southeastern Pennsylvania. It's on a ridge. It's a it's an all wooded property, but there's ag to the south, so deer relate to that ag. And I grew up learning about habitat manipulation and setting up on private land. I, I grew up doing that all at the same time when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, I always went to my cabin with my dad and hunted big woods. So I always had a mix back and forth and I gravitated younger to that private land because there was more deer. It was a different type of hunting. It was more relaxed. And the older I get, the I still love that to no end. That's a big passion, but I've gravitated more towards big woods and public land and trying to figure that out because, you know, I've, I've been very successful private land and I've had some success on public land. I would not consider myself an expert on public land. Like a lot of the people that you, you know, watch on YouTube or listen to podcasts. So I grew up with, with private land, I guess a little bit more, but it's both in it's, it's in, it's in my blood regardless. Yeah. Was it, was it all, um, deer hunting or did you do a bunch of different types of hunting? I know like, again, a lot of the Northern States, like deer hunting is where you cut your teeth. Yeah. Deer hunting is King, like over any other type of hunting. Um, and it wasn't until later in life that I really started discovering all of these other opportunities out there. What was that like for you? So I never really did much small game hunting. I never did a lot of waterfowl hunting. I mean, I love those things. It's just, it's not in my blood the same. I never did a lot of predator hunting, um, obviously deer. And then I love turkey hunting. I love spring gobbler hunting. I've done some fall turkey hunting, but it always, you know, messes up with, uh, with deer hunting. So I don't usually do it much. And then bear hunting, um, bear hunting in Pennsylvania is a, is a pretty big thing. It's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty cool accomplishment to kill a bear in Pennsylvania. And I've, uh, that's another thing that's gravitated or, or has, has become of more interest to me just because of the big woods, you know, that's where we see a lot of our bear killed and that's where I've had the most success bear hunting. So those are the three I'm, I'm a big game hunter, but our, my season basically looks like I'm going to archery hunt my tail off until I kill a buck or until the season ends. And then I kind of go into a transition mode of, of bear hunting into our rifle season, deer hunting and, we, of course, another cool thing about Pennsylvania is our, our, our late season is flintlock muzzleloader or bow and arrow only. And I love the flintlock hunt. So I'm pretty much whatever weapon you can give me for a deer, I'm good. But I love bear hunting. That's another thing. And then turkeys. Nice. 
Yeah, the uh, I I have almost zero experience bear hunting, um, other than hearing stories and watching videos. My mom draws a bear tag every couple of years in Wisconsin. She has yet to connect with one. Um, I'll buy a bear tag when I go out to Colorado. The I don't know if it's like this for every season, but second rifle, you can get a concurrent bear tag as a non-resident for like a hundred bucks. So if you okay. have another active tag. And so I've bought those, but again, I haven't even seen one. I think I've seen one black bear in the wild in my life. Um, so I don't have much experience with that. What What is your strategy behind bear hunting? Because I know you can, some places you run hounds for them, some places mm-hmm. you put out a bait pile or, you know, a barrel full of cookies or whatever it might be. Some people just like to get trail cameras out and go set up where, where they're hoping one comes through. What do you do when you chase after bears? Yeah. So in Pennsylvania, we are not allowed to use bait. We're not allowed to use hounds for bear. So bear hunting is you can, you can move bear with, with people with, you know, form of driving or you're just, you know, your, your standard still hunting, stand hunting type practices. And I grew up bear hunting in a cabin in North central Pennsylvania and our strategy was has always been 18 to 20 guys and we have these areas that just consistently hold bear but they are steep thick and rugged and it's amazing how many people come up and never come back because they just weren't cut out for it but we we make these organized drives and we've done the same drives every year since i'm a since i'm a kid and I've been fortunate. I've, I've killed two Pennsylvania bears with my bow, with a with a rifle. Um, both of them were, were just luck. I mean, I, I'm disclaimer. I'm not considering myself a, a big bear hunter. Um, I, I don't know as much about them as I wish. Both of mine were luck. Uh, I was a stander on a drive the first time. The bear didn't even come from the drive. It came from behind me. But I, I shot that one. And I was very young. I was 13 years old. And... My second one, I was, you know, the way we set up is once you shoot a bear, then your, your goal is to try to chase one to somebody else who never got one. So I was always a driver. Then I've been a driver since I'm very young and I was sitting in a hollow waiting for the standards to wrap around to do the next drive. And there was another group of hunters that moved into that area, chased a bear off of the hill. We were going to drive. It came to me and I shot it. I mean, there was, there's no strategy. It was 100% luck, but Bear hunting is one of those things that most of Pennsylvania, they're, they're like me. There's not a lot of people who are like diehard Pennsylvania bear hunters that kill them consistently. Yeah. And one of the goals I'm trying to do is learn and find those people and chat with them on my podcast and like figure out, is there something to it? Because my pinnacle thing is kill a Pennsylvania bear with a bow and arrow and do it without hounds and doing without bait and and just doing it on being a mountain man being a woodsman all right guys i need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that i've been using for quite a while now it's called bull elk beard oil if you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors whether it's on the mountain in the marsh or in the woods you've felt the effects of the wind the sun and the cold on your face what this product does it helps you look better feel more confident and it helps your beard keep its moisture Not to mention, it smells great, so now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. 
Now I need to tell you, I've gotten to know Brian, the founder over the past couple months, and he is an awesome guy. Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions, or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bullelkbeardoil.com and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code NOMADIC and get 20% off your order. Um, yeah, I can't imagine. I know even even with bait, it's not always a sure thing. Even with hounds, sure. it's, I mean, hounds, I feel like are, are your most consistent way of killing a bear. Like if you want to go Absolutely. out and get one, uh, in talking with, um, this guy that I, I went and did a mountain lion hunt with, he's like, dude, bears have such a strong odor that the dogs don't even have to get out of the bed of the truck in order to sniff it. Like you could be driving down the road and they'll start bellowing because they smell a bear wow. that had crossed. He said uh, they're a lot more smelly than a mountain lion, but the scent doesn't stick around as long, so you have to get on a fresher track in order mm. to get that smell. But anyways, he chases them all summer long with his hounds, and it, it sounds like he has a ton of success with it. But, you know, when you've got when you've got animals that are bred and created for that sole purpose, like you're going to increase your odds. In Pennsylvania, yeah, though, that. that's being, awesome. Yeah, not being able to do any of that, I can see how it would be like an amazing feat just to kill one period and then to try to do it with a bow, man, what an accomplishment. That'd be, that would be so awesome. So I screwed up this year. I should have had one. I was, I was, I'm, I'm fairly new to saddle hunting. This is year two and I don't typically do it a lot, but I have a, a saddle set up when I hunt public land and I was having trouble in this one tree I was setting up in this big woods. And we have a, we have a season where in archery for our archery deer, which runs from, beginning of October through mid November. And there's three weeks where you can shoot a bear with a bow. It's it overlaps. And I was setting my stand up like three o'clock in the afternoon, beginning of November. And I had a bear come in and my bow was on the ground and oh, I didn't no. pull it up yet. I was still getting set up. And if I'd have been five minutes faster, the route he was taking, he'd have been 20 yards from me, but till I pulled my bow up and he heard the mess, he changed routes and it just didn't happen. So I still kicked myself for that, but yeah, that'd be tough. Um, can you can you use calls for bears there? Can you do like yeah. a predator call? Yeah, I just I never tried it. I never heard of people trying it. I'm not saying it's uh, it's not an effective way. I just I don't have the experience, and I don't haven't ever talked to anybody. Like I said, all my bear hunting experience has been through the people that have done those cabin hunts with a group and just learned those things and I, I think that the thing i've learned the most i did an episode last fall um with a guy by the name of mark lesher and mark has killed he's killed six in pennsylvania some with a bow some with the rifle and he's passed others up he's put so many other people on bear and he's one of the the people on my list that i would consider a really good bear hunter in pennsylvania and i did an episode with him and just hearing his his thought process and how you approach a drive, how you approach an area, how you scout an area, then set it up, how you use the wind was just 
different than what I, what I, what I was used to. I mean, I grew up in a camp. We did the same drives every year and he did the same thing. And he goes, I got to a point where I was like, this is stupid. We're not killing them consistently. And they started doing their own thing and being more strategic. And sometimes they'll kill five or six in a camp in a year. And that's a big deal with it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a, that's quite a feat no matter where you are. That's a lot of bears. And like when you, when you do your drives or even, I guess when he's doing his, how much, how much land are you selecting to try to push out at once? Well, that's a great point because there's a lot of controversy between bear hunting groups. I am in a bear hunting group where we do large areas to to try to give you an idea of large. We'll push a side hill, pretty steep side hill. And from the top to the bottom distance, you're probably talking about 500 yards wide. And you might go half three quarters of a mile making this drive. And the, the standard practice was we always drove it the same direction because it was back towards camp. And if you killed one, it was closer to bring the bear back to the camp. And you always yelled. You always yelled to keep in line. You always yelled because that keeps the bear out ahead. And we do these, these big, long drives. And the, the theory was that you get the bear running out ahead of you and, and you're going to kill him that way. And I've learned this on my own from our, from our camp. And I really learned it from Mark and other people like him where um, the easiest bear to kill in the woods is the bear that is the first year away from its mother. So they've got two years where they're with mom. And then when they, when they go off, they're 80 to hundred pounds and they're, it's the same thing as a year and a half old buck. It's the easiest deer to kill in the woods. They're young, they're naive. They're, it's, it's just not hard. And there's, it's a trophy, but in our camp, since I'm going, which is, you know, 15 plus years, that is the majority of the bear we've killed. We've killed 80 to 100, 120 pound bear that are two to three years old. Every now and then we'll kill a mature one, but it's not frequent. And chatting with Mark, what I learned is that's because the way we set our drives up, we're setting them up the same way. We're too far apart. We're doing too large of a drive and we're yelling. And any mature bear knows that. And unless you've got all, all exits covered, like you're like a, just, just an orange wall, they will find a way to sneak out. And I learned this and he's learned this because some years we've had snow and you can watch what a bear does. They're not running out ahead, a mature bear. They're not running out ahead of our drivers. They're, they're just sneaking. They're just listening to where we are. They're going out ahead. They're using their nose and they're finding that weak point and they're just slipping out. And it's so thick and monotonous that um, they just find a way out. And it's, it's so interesting. So it's uh, and, and that's one of those things that most most people in Pennsylvania, like if you listen to that episode with Mark, they're like, what is this guy talking about? But, you know, seeing it on such a regular basis and bear, you know, backtracking, like cutting back through the drivers or just stuff like that is so interesting. And uh, I'm just trying to learn. We had one this year. So our at my cabin bear season actually extends into the first week of deer season. So there's a point in time where you can have a rifle and you can shoot any antler deer, any antlerless deer you have a tag for during that season or a bear, if you have a tag, it's kind of a neat hunt. And we do a, a, a day of driving with friends and family. And we had a bear where we did this small section of a chop off and it was just the last section of the drive. And we were just all together. It was like 20 guys. We had 10 guys go through this chop off. We were 30 yards apart and the drop, the standard that killed this bear 
the driver walked 40 yards past him and could see him the whole entire time through this chop off. We walked past that driver or that stander. I'm going to confuse people. We walked past that guy and there was a bear in that chop off that laid tight. We literally walked 30 yards distance between us. So we couldn't have been more than 15, 20 yards from this bear just laid tight in that chop off and snuck out the back broke out and it went right to that guy on the backside. We passed him and it broke out and we just happened to have a guy there and, and he got shooting. Jeez. It was just so eye-opening, but that was a 250 or 60 pound field dressed sow, which is a big sow. And I'm guessing she was big, mature bear, Yeah, but she'd been, she'd been through that rodeo so many times of people trying to chase her. She knew that if she stayed tight and just broke out the back, she'd, she'd probably be safe, but it was just how we had it set up. We got lucky. Yeah, man. How cool. I mean, that's where, that's where talking to people who have experience who have been doing it longer or a different way. Like I always love hearing outside the box strategies for things Mm -hmm. or like breaking away from the normal because you hear when people do that stuff, all of a sudden they're having success at rates that the normal guy isn't. Um, I learned totally totally different than bear hunting but with doves we hunt doves pretty heavily here in missouri okay and if we walk a tree line or like a fence line with a couple trees on it i always tell people i'm like always be watching behind you like you can have people walking and watching in front but some of those doves they'll hide up on a branch where you can't see them even though the tree has zero cover on it they'll hide up on a branch where you don't notice them And they'll wait until you walk past and they'll do the same thing. They'll kick out and fly away. And I don't know how many doves I've missed over the years because they're just smart. Like, oh, I'm just going to wait. They're not going to see me. By the time they hear my wings flapping, it's too late. Um, And how many times... How many times do we hear those strategies from somebody and think that's that's off the wall? That's crazy. But I'm to the point where if somebody's got like the credibility, they got the trophy room, the experience to back it up. I'll listen to anybody. I don't care how crazy it is because there's got to be something going on if they're successful, right? Oh, yeah. I've I've talked to plenty of people about just weird things that they do. There's a guy that um, I just had a conversation with him in Wisconsin. I did. It was just a face to face conversation. I've known the guy for years. But uh, I've never fully talked to him like in depth about his elk hunting strategy. And he loves to elk hunt. He goes out by himself for, I think now he's been doing it kind of with one or two other people. But it used to be that he would go by himself for 30 days in Colorado. He'd either get a, a muzzleloader tag or an archery tag and just go after elk. And he'd bring back elk at least every other or every third year, which is, I mean, pretty amazing for being a non-resident going out there all alone. And I started talking to him and he's like, man, I don't, I don't do all the bugling. Like you see all these people with bugle tubes and they're just ripping all the time, all the way down the mountain. He's like, I don't, I don't bugle ever. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, interesting. He's like, I sneak in. He's like, there's times where I'll be almost within arm's reach of an elk and I, I, I'll belly crawl. I won't make a single sound, and I'll try to get in the middle of the herd and get a shot off at a bull. And I'm like, what the heck? And we start talking about scent control, and he smokes his clothes. He'll get a good, yeah. a good cold bed, and he'll put, he'll put a nice green pine bough on it, and then he'll just let that soak his clothes. And he's like, I do it every night, and by the end of the week, like you could, you could be pouring sweat, and you won't smell yourself anymore. You'll just smell that smoke. It's 
the best cover scent you can have. And I'm just like, it's stuff like that, that when you hear it from people and you know, like you said, their track record, they've had the success. It's really cool to hear unique strategies. I, I, and I struggle with that one. And I'm not saying that that's not wrong. Cause I I'm in the same boat. Like I hear people talk about um, cover sense. And I always think back, there was a study done years ago about um, how many different scents can a deer pick apart. You know, they've got what, 250 million receptors and an elk is basically the same thing and they can pick apart sense. And I don't remember the structure of that study, but then I go back to my science mind to think, okay, well, how can that be? Science has done this experiment and they figured out that that's not true. But then I've got to realize that within the science of hunting, there is a lot of art within hunting. And, you know, yeah. somebody something along the lines of what you just described with that guy smoking his clothes. And I've heard other people doing that. I don't care what the science says. If the art of his hunt is bringing success, I can't rule it out. I For years, yeah. I would always rule that out with somebody's off the wall artistic mind. And don't do that with any of your hunting because there's there's some things you could be missing. Yeah, I, I think science can explain a lot, but it doesn't explain everything. Like, according to science, a bumblebee cannot fly. But you see mm -hmm. bumblebees flying all the time. And I, like you said, there's there's an art to it. There's a, there's a way to do things that can't be explained that still work. And, exactly. And, like, I can't, although you could break it down scientifically, I can't explain to someone how to throw a football and throw a perfect spiral into a running receiver's hands every time. But if I go out there, I can do it most of the time. Like I can throw a football to somebody running, but if I just were to tell you, okay, you need to lead this person by this much and throw it this way and your fingers need to be in this position, that doesn't mean they're going to be able to do it right out of the gate just because they had a good explanation. But learning it and, and then you add in things like, running to, toward the sideline as you're throwing like yep. it although it can be explained sometimes you just have to get out there and figure it out for yourself and the more you do it the better you're going to get at it the more successful you're going to be at it yeah and that's like it's just like a gift like you have quarterback tendencies myself i was a center it was a miracle that i could get the ball to the quarterback and not fumble it yeah <laughs> <laughs> like we're all gifted with different things like people's hunting strategies um, my uncle, who's one of my, my idols when it comes to hunting that I respect, uh, I mean, he, he's got ninja like capabilities when it comes to sneaking and the, the things he can do to get on a white tail in, in the woods on the ground, but what he's done, the stories he's told me, it's pretty impressive. Me, I am like a giant clumsy elephant with two left feet when I walk in the woods. <laughs> so it's just like, I have to adjust my strategy based on who I am too. Yeah. What, a. Yeah. you mentioned changing things up a little bit, uh, two, two seasons ago now, and you started saddle hunting. Uh, what yeah. has that been like? Um, it's a tool. It's a, it's a great tool that, um, I use when it fits, when the shoe fits, I like for the public land hunts that I do to just take a set of sticks and a saddle in my backpack 
you know, go to where I want to go and set up and it's comfortable. I'm, I'm not into the platforms. Um, I, I kind of modeled off of Eberhard a little, John Eberhard, and my buddy is the one that got me into this. He's the one that gave me the setup that I have and, uh, you know, kind of got me onto a ring of steps and the, the mobility and hiding behind the tree and you know, all that stuff. I'm not, like I said, I'm not anti-platform. It's just not my style. Um, I don't use it a lot. And that's because I, Again, I, I spend a little bit more time on that private land. Um, I, but when I do, like I used it this year a couple times when I, I went upstate uh, during that time where I told you about the bear, that, the bear hunt that I had, or I didn't get the chance at the bear with the bow. I, I used the saddle then, and it's just so much better for me than a climber. I, the places I go, I can't, I've done the climber on the back, and a climber is great, and I'll be, flat honest i think it's one of the most comfortable things in the, in the trees that we we put ourselves in but it's just not for me with when it comes to walking around and mobility i'm i'm clumsy enough i don't need a big piece of metal on my back climbing around too yeah i i find myself dragging way too much gear out i love gear i think it's so much me fun too. and then i always get out there and i'm like i didn't use half of the stuff that i brought out here even though i thought <laughs> i was going to um i did one I think it was in Wisconsin this year. So I've got, I've got like this big, heavy, I mean, it's a bog tripod. It's a carbon fiber. So it's like a pound lighter in the aluminum. And I was like, this is going to be perfect for, um, being in the truck. Like if I'm driving around in the truck, if I go out and I can park somewhere and just do a short walk to a spot, um, for coyotes or Turkey, even I'm going to use it. Well, then I, I hunt 40 acres in Wisconsin and it's not like, it, it feels a lot bigger than 40, but like the hiking, it might be like 15 minutes to get back to a spot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I brought way too much gear out again, and I typically sit on the ground when I'm rifle hunting in Wisconsin. I've just always loved the terrain. The hills come up so quickly. The valleys drop off so fast that you yeah. can sit on the side of a hill, but still have more visibility than most tree stands do around the country. And I'll set that tripod up Well, I was walking with it out and I, I've always rested it like behind my neck so that it's not another thing that I have to have in my hands. And I'm like kind of creeping through the woods, looking around. This is early in the hunt. And all of a sudden it just tips off the top of my pack. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. My uncle and my cousin, they were walking out. They were in front of me and kind of to my left, they were going to a different ridge and they both look over at me like something's coming towards them, and then they realize it's just their idiot cousin and nephew uh, <laughs> dropping all of his gear out in the middle of the woods. But yeah. um, saddle hunting seems pretty cool, man. Uh, I I like the idea. I like the I like the mobility concept behind it. I have almost always either hunted the ground or hunted pre-hung sets in trees. Me too. But. Um, looking at public land, there's a there's a good amount of public land here and a lot of sign that I've seen. If I go out duck hunting on a lake, I'll walk the draws and the fingers that come out to the lake and just look for deer sign. And I yeah. really want to do either a canoe in or a boat in um, whitetail hunt with the saddle this year. Uh, okay. Most of those places you can't you can't find a tree that's good for a for a climber, and so that's what that's what kind of swayed me towards the saddle system. I just have yet to buy one. 
I've yet to buy one too. Like I said, I'm just running something that my friend gave me. And I, I mean, I'm always looking for that new challenge. I mean, every year I set, I set a, a goal for myself. And right now my goal with where I'm at in my deer hunting career and the places that I hunt, I'm trying to shoot a deer that I believe is a four-year-old or older. And I struggled this past year because I, I came off of 2020 was the best season I ever had in my life. And then 21, I didn't have a specific deer that I was focusing on like I did in 20. So I really struggled with my priorities throughout the year. And I, I was trying to hunt so many different places and like, I'm, I'm, I'm gravitating towards big woods, but I didn't have the time invested in to plan up there. Like I did on my private land. But when I was hunting at the private land, um, while there was some good bucks that I, I would have shot and I ended up missing one. Um, I, I just wasn't like, just like drawn, like captivated by a specific deer. So I just, I just struggled with different things last year and it's a, it was just a, a personal dilemma. So, you know, you said about, you know, trying to do a pack in trip somewhere, whitetail, I have the opportunity to go to Ohio this year with some friends for the same thing, hunt big public land in Southern Ohio. And I kind of want to do that. It's like a challenge for myself. Like, yeah. I'm used to all that pre-hung stuff and planning out ahead. Can I actually do it? Can I go on a public land hunt for a week and get it done with whatever standard I set? You know, I, if, if I think a two-year-old's my best guess, then I'll hunt a two-year-old. If I find some deer that are bigger than that, I'm probably going to set my standard high because that's how I am. Um, but, but can I get it done? Uh, it's just a challenge for me. So I'm, I'm wrestling back and forth with that. Yeah, it's cool, though, that there's that many different types of opportunities. Like, I mean, between Pennsylvania, Ohio, between hunting that 200 acres that, you know, your uncle had growing up to big mm -hmm. woods hunting on public land. Uh, I try to tell people, like, even though you've already hunted whitetail, there's always a new way to do it. There's always a new terrain, a new place that you can go. And that is just as exciting to me, like going and seeing a new chunk of land or experiencing a new way to hunt, that's just as exciting to me as, as the management and getting to track a deer year after year. Um, I just, yeah, I'm open to anything, man. I, I really am. People find that out about me. They're like, dude, what do you, so what do you like to hunt? And I'm like, uh, everything. <laughs> do they have a season for shadows? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, w I will hunt everything and, or I get the question all the time. So what, what is the nomadic outdoorsman about? Like what kind of hunting? What's your specialty? And I'm just like, uh, everything from deep sea fishing with a spear gun to frog gigging to moose shed hunting to, uh, fishing on farm ponds that are, you know, 50 feet across, like you name it. If it can be done in the outdoors, I will probably talk about it at some point on the podcast. And, uh, there's something out there for everyone. I, I firmly believe that. If if you're open to it, you can find a sport that you'll become absolutely passionate about in the outdoors, um, even if you don't currently hunt or fish. Amen to that. Can't uh, can't disagree with anything with that. And like I said, it's all personal preference. I'm I'm biased to hunting here. Part of that is because the phase of my life. Um, I'm trying to make sure I don't set too big of trips and goals and stuff like you know one day i'd like to go out you know, I, I was already i've already been lucky and i i did a bucket list hunt and i killed an elk with my bow i'd like to do some other trips out west and do this and that 
I'm just not at that point in my life where that's what I'm choosing to do. I'm, I'm going to try to focus on what I know is feasible right now, and I want to do it the best that I can do it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it sounds like you've got a pretty good setup there. The diversity that you have, and then uh, even even the land management. We haven't even touched on all of that yet, but that's something that is a passion all in itself. I've noticed when mm-hmm. guys get into it, it's just like they live for that. And, and, you know, shooting a big deer or, or a target deer is just the, the reward that comes at the end of all that hard work, but the hard work yep. is almost a reward in itself. Um, doing controlled burns or, or hinge cutting or putting in new water features out there. Like there is so much involved in whitetail management and property management it could mm-hmm. be a year long thing. And, and when people do it right, it turns into that pretty quickly. And I'll put the disclaimer out, you know, if we go down that Avenue, um, I'm, I'm no different. I'll, I'll talk till I'm blue in the face about that stuff. Cause I'm just as passionate about it. I, I love it. And I think the reason I love it so much aside from my just passion for whitetails is it's been uh, a journey in my learning. I'm still learning, but I, I've, I learned that so much of what I thought years ago was taken out of context and not applied correctly. And it's just, I've come to the point now with where I'm at, where now I'm starting to figure certain things out. I used to do wrong. And now I love when I can share information with other people to be like, for the, for the love of God, please don't do that because you're going to spend way more money than you want. And I don't think it's going to pan out the way you will take it from me because um, I've seen that done firsthand. While I might not have been the person that was cashing out the finances for the property change, um, like other people on my uncle's property, mainly he, mainly he um, we've seen stuff that just didn't pan out and it was a ton of work and money and I don't want anybody to go through that. Yeah. So I, I try to scale it to that and, and help people. And, you know, I went to, when I, when I was a, a kid in you know, high school, I was a, a knucklehead just like the rest of them, I guess, but I had zero interest in going to college. I, I wanted to do a trade cause that's what my dad did. But both my parents were like, you're going to college. So I was 18 years old and I had to figure out what I wanted to do. And the only thing I ever knew and loved was hunting was deer. So I was like, well, I'm interested in wildlife management. I've done this stuff. So let's go for a degree in that. And I ended up getting a degree in biology and environmental science. And I just thought I was going to try to do something with wildlife. Um, Had a lot of people, you know, push me away from that just because of other things about me. And that's irrelevant at this point, but I got away from it. I wasn't going to go into a wildlife degree or a wildlife uh, career. And for the past going on six years, I've been a private consulting agronomist and uh, certified crop advisor. I've done that. Now I work with a lot of growers in the central part of Pennsylvania, uh, trying to maximize, you know, crop yields and profitability for farmers. And what's so cool is how, you know, we talk about habitat manipulation and food plots is the first thing people come. There's so much that I've been able to have conversations with hunters and land managers about food plots and talk about them, something with certain crops or spring 
they're like, I never heard of that before. Well, it's because food plotters don't know any better because they're not farmers. Yeah. And I can relate that to them. That's just been my gateway to, to talk to people and help. And then it's also my gateway to have other conversations with them that I learn about that they've done. And that's that's what's so cool about it for me. Yeah, that's cool. It seem, That seems like a never-ending uh, education process. <laughs> like you can always- You're always learning. The minute you think you have it figured out, you're you're- mistaken yeah and and yeah i mean you i'm sure you've you come up or you see things that you've never heard talked about or you know you see things that you hear pushed all the time that just don't work on a certain property i i like that kind of chess game and the puzzle of figuring out a property and figuring out what to do with it um but it definitely is awesome when you can have somebody who's gone before you and can keep you from wasting all your time and money doing the wrong thing Exactly. I had, I had somebody do the same thing for me at some point. I mean, I, I, I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not that smart. I didn't figure it out on my own. I had people help me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those, those lessons come a lot easier. Um, they, they may not always stick all the way through, but, uh, when you find things out the hard way, you typically don't forget them. Um, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, I grew up, I grew up doing exactly what my parents did and I never questioned yeah. it as far as hunting goes. And now I, I catch myself questioning things all the time. Like, well, why are they doing it that way? Is it just because that's how everybody's always done it? There's got to be a different way. There's got to be a better way. And um, I don't take it to an extreme where I just don't believe anything anybody says. But um, I just like, I like challenging the normal. I like figuring out new and better ways or more unique ways to do it. I, I, I think just chasing adventure all the time is what it comes down to. I think that's why you're successful, Dan, because when you go with an open mind, you don't have that closed mindset. Um, you're you're going to find that success a whole lot easier or, or not easier, so to speak, but you're going to find that success better. I mean, I, I, I'll raise my hand right here. I, I've had a closed mind on many things and not accept stuff. And I'm, I'm being proved wrong every day. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of that going on in my life too. I, I definitely sure. don't know it all, but man, I really appreciate you hopping on sharing. I mean, we covered a little bit of everything, but I definitely want to have you back on the show, pick your brain more on the, on the management side of things, the land improvement side of things, especially as we get sure. closer to late spring, summer, when a lot of implementations can be happening in preparation for the fall um, I think that would be very beneficial to anybody listening, no matter what it is that they hunt. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'd love to do that. I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of great information out there. Like we said, I mean, you just had a couple guys on your on your podcast here not that long ago, kind of talking about a lot of the similar stuff. Um, I'm going to I'm going to throw it out there. Um, he wasn't part of this conversation, but Whitetail Landscapes on Sportsman's Nation with John Teeter. The guy's a wealth of information. So if you're a private land guy and you haven't listened to his podcast, I'm listening to it. He's he's got a lot of great information. I really enjoy. Um, but yeah, would, would love to. Um, I wanted to, to, to throw it out to you. The, the invite always stands. You said you never did much bear hunting. And if you ever get and want to come bear hunting in Pennsylvania, I can't promise you anything, but it would be an experience if you'd want to try it. So oh, you're, man. you're welcome that anytime. Sounds amazing. I, I love like big events like that, where there's a lot of camaraderie before, you know, you get a game plan together, you try to execute it. Well, um, that sounds awesome. And I'm, I'm going to just have to look at my fall schedule and figure out when the best time would be to come up. 
Hey, 2022, 23, 24. I don't really care if you want to, if you decide it's something you'd like to, to experience and try, I've got, I got two bear hunts that we do. One's a, a deer bear combination and one is just a strictly bear hunt, but we do it with a group of guys and, and we're always learning. And if you'd love to, to join us, you're more than welcome. Man, that sounds awesome. We'll definitely stay in touch about that. Um, before I hop off though, why don't you share with the listeners where they can find you, where they can listen along with your podcast? Yeah. So, um, a lot of the similar places you'd, you'd find, uh, nomadic outdoorsmen. Uh, I do have an Instagram that I'm, I'm slowly becoming more apt to using social media. Uh, we, we have an Instagram Pennsylvania at Pennsylvania woodsman podcast. We have a Facebook page, uh, Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast and you can find us on sportsman's nation, um, which, you know, we're, we're pretty much everywhere. So, uh, yeah, Pennsylvania Woodsman, we, uh, we try to talk everything PA related, Northeast related, but, uh, I think what you find is you can relate a lot of stuff throughout the entire country. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Again, I appreciate you hopping on everybody. Go give that a listen. Um, lots of great content coming your way on that and for real i will be in touch about a bear hunt yeah that would be great so i appreciate you having me this is awesome um hopefully we can do it again sometime absolutely man and that is going to wrap it up for today's episode i had an awesome time chatting with mitchell and i think it'd be so cool to get a bunch of outdoor podcasters together and just hang out do like a bonfire or a grill out or I don't know, some type of event. We'd probably never leave. Imagine that many people whose job it is to hang out and talk about hunting and fishing. We'd be there forever. I mean, you'd just have to come find us out there with a fishing pole or a rifle in hand, and we'd just be out there hanging out hunting for the rest of our lives. Anyways, you better believe I'm going to take Mitchell up on that offer to go bear hunting. That would be so much fun. And I love being around people who are passionate about habitat improvement, passionate about land management, and um, I just like gathering information. Sometimes my friends are like, dude, you know a lot about this stuff. Really what it comes down to is I just regurgitate the information that I hear from other people. Whether or not I've actually put it into practice, most of it I haven't because a lot of these guys are so much more experienced with it than I am. But I'm hoping soon to have my own chunk of property that I can start implementing these practices on. So hopefully you guys are out there having success turkey hunting. I am striking out so far, but fingers crossed that it goes better in the coming days. Until next time, though, always choose adventure and God bless.